Hello, hello. I am Mayor Watt. That is Omentown.com, and that's what powers this show. My hands get really big when I bring them close to the camera. It's a really cool perspective thing. Anyway, uh, where was I? I am Mayor Watt. This is the Omentown Daily News Show for October 24th. 2022 we are a week away from halloween so spooktober is almost over kind of a bummer i haven't been able to play any scary games just working all the time here in hometown and i've been trying to uh in all of the shows lately trying to introduce uh, wolverton adventure company which is a channel that is hosting a sand table so go over to waffleton adventure company here on twitch streaming 24 hours a day seven days a week i'm actually watching it right there and it happens to be physically right there it's pretty cool anyway sand table redesigns a pattern all the time constantly changing and some chill music. At the moment, it's chill music. I might play something else another day. Maybe I'll I'll switch it over to the spooky music that I'm playing uh, right now here on the Hometown Daily News Show. So what is the Hometown Daily News Show? It is uh, basically a show that uh, talks about the last 24 hours of news. Although sometimes I grab something from history. In by history, I mean maybe upwards of a week old, but usually it's within the last 24 hours. So I know it's supposed to be just the last 24 hours because it's a daily news show and not a history channel. Anyway, let's get into today's news. The very first article is in the Warcrafters channel. It is Terraria becomes the first indie hit to break 1 million positive user reviews on Steam. And if you've not done this before, you can actually type in Showbot and it'll get taken. It will allow you to take yourself over to hometown.showbot.tv where you can vote on the articles that I post into chat and you can vote. Hey, I like this article. You should do more of it and we can talk about this kind of stuff. Well, Terraria has been around for a while. We like Terraria so much. We reviewed it twice. According to this article, this article is over at a PC gamer once in 2011 when it was new and then again in 2018 and they found that it was still one of the best adventures out there. Yeah, it's a really fun game. Uh, I, I like playing it from time to time. I never really got too deep into it, but I've never gotten into any game really deep. Uh, uh, not since World of Warcraft's original builds. Um, it started getting, you know, after well, let's see. After Death Knights, maybe there were a couple of other uh, expansions that were pretty good, but I don't know. I gave up playing when I started working on uh, grad school the first time. So anyway, uh, when we found that there was still one of the best adventures out there, in case uh, that's not sufficient testament to both its quality and its durability, Terraria is now pulled in over 1 million positive user reviews on Steam, becoming the first indie game to do so. Pretty awesome. I dig Terraria. Um, has a, a pretty fun 
building, base building, survival kind of concept to it. If you've never heard of it, I don't know where you've been, uh, but welcome to, uh, I don't know, gamer heaven. I don't know what to really call this. Um, Terraria is a lot of fun to play. It doesn't, it's not really that intensive on your hardware, so you can actually get up and running a relatively low cost. Andy Chalk over at PCGamer.com is the one that wrote this article, and it says, It's also the only one of the five most reviewed games on Steam to have an overwhelming popular... Let me back that up a little bit. An overwhelmingly popular user rating, which is pretty amazing. Um, let's see if they say anything else in here. Terraria co-creator. Oh, by the way, they're not really updating Terraria anymore. Uh, to be clear, Terraria is not the first game to hit 1 million positive user reviews, but it's the first sort of the sort of indie darling to reach the mark. Games ahead of it on the list include Counter-Strike, Global Offensive, PUBG, Dota 2, and Grand Theft Auto. Those are all... <laughs> basically mega corporations, whereas Terraria is just kind of the indie darling. It really is. Uh, go and check it out. It's over on Steam. I think everybody has it by now. If you don't, though, go get it now. Let's do the next article. Uh, this one is about cars, if you're not into cars. Uh, you might like this. I've always liked the Ionic 5 since it came out. It is a fairly new car um, in terms of uh, being on my radar, but the Hyundai Ionic 5 just won Motor Trends SUV of the year, and they have five things why they liked the electric model when they tested it. Uh, this is over at uh, Business Insider. Let's just go over to the article. Today might be a fast day. I've always liked its look. Like the first time that I saw the Ionic 5, I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Cyberpunky, uh, very techy looking. Uh, the wheels look like they want to be iris lenses and close in on themselves. Um, and that's the fender wells. And then it transitions again into you know, the, the uh, rims themselves. Wow, something happened with... Nightbot. One second. I'm sorry. Let's see if I can do this again. Sorry, I'm... Okay, there we go. Now it's working. Um, so it's the first time an electric vehicle has won the prize. Motor Trends SUV of the year. They say uh, that they loved the quick acceleration, striking looks, and spacious, stylish interior. Um, it's $40,000, 300 miles of range. It had a couple of recalls, if I recall correctly. Uh, yeah. Let me see real quick. Because I swear I talked about it in 2022. Software injured, uh, software error in the shifter control unit may disengage. So there's a couple of recalls. Eh, most cars get a re recall, but this one says Hyundai and Kia recall nearly uh, 20,000 Ionic 5s, EV6s. Um, 
I guess it's for the same issue. Yeah, uh, the shifter control unit can disengage the parking uh, brake and it'll just like roll down a hill or something. Uh, but yeah, I agree. This is a pretty neat car. Uh, Hyundai loaned the author a $55,000 all-wheel drive model. If it is $55,000 for an all-wheel drive, it's too expensive and it's all in the battery pack. About 20 grand, 25 grand is probably the battery pack. Tim Levin is the author of this article over at businessinsider.com. We really need to just ditch the battery as a part of the ownership. It's a consumable and I think that we should treat it like we treat gas. Charge people to swap it out. However much you want to charge. Oh, it costs you know $10 to swap out a battery. You're not losing anything. You you have to build the systems and all of that, but you know, you're it, it's <laughs> you sink that cost into a process that allows you to swap out a battery and bingo bango, you've got the batteries. The only problem is people really screw things up and you can't have nice things because somebody's gonna steal it steal a battery like a catalytic converter because there's just a lot of scumbaggery out there here are the five things that the author liked about the terrific tesla rival space age looks i like it too especially the headlights they're square uh high high brightness um leds a thin little line that i don't know it's pretty striking i like it ultra fast charging charging can be one of the most daunting elements of an electric car ownership fortunately when it comes to the ionic 5 can accommodate 350 kilowatt fast charging that means it can reach 80 percent in just 10 minutes or 18 minutes sorry scratch that 18 minutes and it has this little um charging meter behind its door Minivan spaciousness and comfort. Yeah, it doesn't have a center console. Um, or I should say a, a drive shaft hump. And they highlight it by putting their bag in that little space where you would have the little hump for your drive shaft. Quick thrilling acceleration. Let's see, it says um, rated at 320 horsepower. Not bad. 446 uh, pound feet of torque. In sport mode, it shoots forward with the force. That's almost nauseating if you, like that author, overdo it. Hello, Tull. How are you? Welcome to the show. Are you interested in an EV? This is the Ionic 5 that we're talking about. The dual motor all-wheel drive tester that the author used is rated at 320 horsepower, 446 pound-feet of torque. And it goes from zero to 60 miles per hour in just five seconds. Not bad for your run of the mill kind of uh, EV. It'll be a long time before you get an EV. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I keep thinking about getting an EV, uh, but uh, for me, it depends on the, the the stability of it in cold weather um, and batteries tend to uh, become less efficient in heat and in cold they have this sweet spot of operation um, although there are newer batteries that are self-heating and 
are efficient at that heat level. It's quite cool, um, so to speak. You could be okay with an electric tractor trailer truck. Yeah, the batteries on a truck um, are just, there's so much. Um, the new, oh, what is it called? I, my brain just fell out of my head. Uh, there are a couple of trucks out there that are not just the Lightning, um, but the Rivian. Uh, the moment it starts towing anything, the battery just drains, blah. It might as well just jump out of its battery compartment and just lay on the side of the road and slowly drain away because that's exactly what happens when you start towing something. Whereas internal combustion trucks, you know, they can withstand that towing. Um, and they don't drain so fast. Plus, it takes five minutes to fill up a gas-powered car, whereas it takes 20 minutes just to get to 80% on this vehicle, and this vehicle has ultra-fast supercharge. So, yeah, I just don't see it. I think that they need... I've said this in other episodes. We need um, uh, to standardize around a sled that allows for a quick release and replacement of batteries and consumers don't buy the batteries. They basically pay the gas station, gas station, um, which is basically a battery swap station. Yeah, you pay 10 bucks, you swap the battery out, put a new battery in, not a new battery, but a fully charged battery that's been tested, vetted, put into your vehicle with the assurance that it's been topped off and you have the ability to reach the next gas station. It's not gonna fail. Because within 10 years, the batteries on all of these EVs, they're going to start failing. And then you you have to pay another $20,000. Nobody wants to buy a burnt out battery powered car. Nobody wants to. Not unless the price for batteries make it cost effective. When they figure out how to develop regenerative kinetic force dynamics, then you'd be on board. Yeah needs to be much more efficient than it is now. Freightliner has a electric Cascadia tractor trailer that can haul 80,000 pounds for a range of up to 500 miles. I would not be surprised, but the cost probably has to be massively, massively expensive. Just huge, huge, if you will. It would take a Freightliner of cash to buy an electric Freightliner. I used to be the consultant for somebody that made custom grills for Freightliners. So they are extremely popular trucks out there. Now let's move on to the next article, but I'll keep talking with you, Toll. Welcome to the channel again. There's a company in Texas that's working on inductive charging highway service that can charge your car as you drive it. Would love that, but you, I don't know. You know some numbnuts out there is going to be poking and prodding at that capacitive induction charging surface just to see how it ticks. U.S. comedian has partnered uh, Family Guy Seth McFarlane has acquired an equity stake in American single malt whiskey bear fight. Comedian has partnered with Next Century Spirits to serve as the chief storyteller of Bear Fight, 
which launched in May of 2022. McFarland said, there's a lot of whiskey out there. So for me to put my name on it, you know, it's either great or I'm getting paid a ton of money. Well, they're paying me a ton of money. Uh, almost, oh, sorry. They're paying me almost nothing, which means bear fight is damn good whiskey. And they said some more, but let's take you over to the spiritbusiness.com and Alice Brooker, who wrote this article. And there's Seth uh, holding the bear fight whiskey. Single malt whiskey. E Cascadia is actually only double the price of a diesel tractor. Only double. So $500,000. Is that it? Um, let's see. Well, they're paying him almost nothing. So I guess bear fight is pretty good. I don't know. I might have to go and get it just to see if McFarlane has a good taste, good taste in whiskey versus the Orville. I liked the Orville. Um, I didn't like the fact that it's on Hulu, but it be what it be. The whiskey delivers aromas and flavors of candied pecans, ripe red apples, sweet sherry, and a hint of Isley uh, style peat. You know, I just don't get it. I can never pull all of these flavors out. I guess my palate is that of, I don't know, maybe a brick. But I don't taste all of that stuff. I just taste whiskey. So it's somewhere between 270,000 and 390,000, and it only goes up to 225 miles on a charge with a full load. Eh. Well, if you put like a little truck on it so you don't deadhead, right? You're not supposed to deadhead. Uh, maybe it gets 350 miles. That battery has to be smoking. Yeah, that's that's me, Tull. If it tastes good, it tastes good. If it tastes less good, that's about where your palate ends. <laughs> yeah, we're on the same page. Absolutely. Well, this stuff is only, what, 40 US dollars? On Reserve Bar and ForWhiskeyLovers.com. Why does ForWhiskeyLovers.com sound like a... A, a boozy only fans. I better move on. Blunder, an affirmative action case, may cost Harvard $15 million. A missed insurance notice opened a window onto the, uh, the cost of litigating challenges to race-conscious admissions programs to be heard this month by the Supreme Court. This is over at the New York Times. A missed insurance notice opened a window for a race conscious admissions to be heard by the Supreme Court. Why in the 21st century are we still talking about race? It's the 21st century. We all do realize, right, that humans are just humans. Affirmative action is a blunder. Ah, <laughs> uh, tall. You know, we can sometimes hear something and it just doesn't make any sense. Maybe it's the way that I said it. I don't have any problem with the fact that I thought that that sounds really funny too. Affirmative action is a blunder. Now, uh, Adam L uh, Liptak. Wow. Okay. 
um, New York Times um, article. It's titled, Blunder and Affirmative Action Case May Cost Harvard $15 Million. Adam Liptak is the author of this. And uh, basically, Harvard failed to file a timely formal claim with one of its insurance companies for its expenses in defending the lawsuit challenging its admissions policies. That company, Zurich American Insurance, refused to pay and Harvard sued. In the process, the university disclosed that its legal fees and expenses in the admissions lawsuit and related Justice Department investigation had topped $27 million. Not to drag this over to the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial, but during the at the end of that trial, everybody came to find out that Amber Heard and the magazine that published the article that she wrote um, got a liability insurance uh, policy in place just in case somebody sued them for libel. And that's exactly what happened. And why do you get a liability insurance uh, policy in place when you post something online. It's because you're expecting something that it's inflammatory, that is libelous for crying out loud. Well, anyway, Harvard had a insurance policy against their admissions policies and that, well, they blew past that flag, I guess, and got called out for their admissions policies. Gosh, I wonder why could it actually have been that? Yeah, it actually did have some issues. One of the nation's top universities is apparently not great about doing its homework, said David Latt, a legal commentator. Days after the students for fair admission sued Harvard in 2014, arguing that its practice of taking account of race in its undergraduate admissions decision is unlawful and harmed Asian American applicants, the university formally notified its primary insurance carrier to seek payment of its defense costs, and that policy had a $25 million limit after Harvard paid $2.5 million. So insurance is another industry that is a legal racketeering. You know, it's really interesting because I can't count how many people say the moment that uh, insurance becomes profitable is the moment that MBAs get involved in insurance because basically your policy is all dependent on your age and your perceived risk. So they ramp up what you have to pay if they think that you're going to meet an early demise or you are risky one way or the other, you know, like you're 18 on a motorcycle that has 1100 horsepower and like a Hayabusa or something. And, um, blah, blah, blah. Right. So then you transition that into health insurance and it basically becomes a nightmare for everybody who's trying to save lives because the MBAs are trying to push it the other way. And, uh, when uh, there was some research that's, that came out back in March of this year, I talked about it then I've talked about it a couple of times since then, the moment that somebody with an MBA enters a business and is in leadership, they suppress wages, but don't make the business any better. Um, they actually suppress the wages of the employees, but don't increase the bottom line in the process of doing that. They basically make everything worse. Um, it's quite interesting uh, to read the, the um, document. Uh, I'd have to get it and post it, but I haven't done that for a while. Um, I'll have to hunt it down. 
But yeah, MBA is basically business school is bad for business based on what this article said or not the article, but this research study said. Um, so uh, what's this toll? You said um, you keep saying the most dangerous part of the American language is the hyphen. Why do we preach equality or refer to people as African-American, Asian-American? A lot of things uh, people get upset about uh, sound really silly if you drop the hyphenated phrase and just call everyone Americans. Yeah, so um, I've had this conversation um, particularly about this and the reason why people uh, like to identify to uh, X, Y, and Z is because they are marginalized in society and it isn't you and I may uh, see people for the content of their character, right? Um, but many, many people don't. And because just like, uh, I'll bring it more to like the employee employer dynamic, right? Employees don't have any bargaining power. Um, in many, many cases, they don't have any bargaining power, but together they form a union and they can stand up against basically an oppressive employer that says, well, out of the graciousness of my heart, I'm giving you a job and you should kneel on bended knee, right? Um, and say, thank you, your grace for giving me a job, except that the, the employee really is the one that is the driving force of the business. It just happens to be that the employer has the ability to produce a job. Um, because if everybody walks from a business, guess what? That business collapses. Um, and that's kind of what this is. When people identify with a, uh, a, a group that they want to identify with, it gives them the authority, the, the, it empowers people. Um, and so while, I think that everybody should just be treated as human. Um, a lot of people don't see, you know, African Americans or Asian Americans um, or somebody from another country entirely as being on par and equal. And that's why I said at the very beginning of that article, why are we still arguing about race in the 21st century? Um, so. And I, I think it's a shame. We should just embrace people for who they are. And when somebody is, is a complete a-hole, you call out that. I had somebody get mad at me today because they went into the same lane that I am taking a turn into and I have the right of way. Um, and they got mad at me. And I'm sitting there going, that is the type of person that's just an a-hole. Um, I, I could, it didn't matter anything else about them. It was just bad form for what they did. Uh, and that pales in comparison to some of the uh, disparate treatment that people receive simply because of their race. And frankly, it's a shame. It, it, it's reprehensible that this stuff continues in the 21st century. Um, and it definitely happens. There's a lot of different socioeconomic machinations here. So you agree with the union serve that purpose. Um, then the federal government gets involved with the DOL and the union reps get greedy. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, I have only seen from the outside 
the impact of a union. I haven't seen it myself, um, but I know that sometimes they are ineffective. Um, absolutely agree that with the rate of travel, the ease of movement around the world, and even the accessibility to relocate to another country, the idea of emphasizing someone's differences is just ridiculous. See, but you don't, it doesn't really mean um, de-emphasize someone's differences, but embrace those differences, you know, uh, until it becomes an oppressive um, difference. I think that everything is fine to embrace it because I love the music from many different cultures. I love the art from many different cultures. I love the people from many different cultures. There's always a tool bag sitting there in somebody else's country that, you know, you might stumble across while you're traveling or when they're vacationing here. Um, it's just the nature of humanity. See, to have to live in fear that something you say completely innocently or ignorantly, yeah, um, is going to be taken out of context and you've done the scarlet letter and are shunned. Yeah, it's possible. That's... Um, that's certainly doable. And in today's uh, world, that word of mouth is instantaneous and you, um, you have to fight basically the messaging that's in place and um, you have to kind of, kind of fight back. Like, uh, that's not what I said. Here's the real context. You have to re-educate people that you didn't say or do what is being interpreted. It's happened in the past. To, get, to be upset that you have to clearly feminine features and someone that just meets you says, ma'am, and you identify eh, with an Apache helicopter and you blow up at them. Um, it's silly. Yeah. Well, some people are very defensive about the situation. Um, but as long as um, everybody communicate communicates and has empathy and compassion and sympathy and understands the plight of each other's situation regardless. Yeah, some people will lash out because they have been mistreated in the past. Um, so this next article is, well, quite the, the opposite of what we're talking about because this is in the Lawner channel and you hear a lot from certain people. Well, you know, if you have nothing to hide, why are you afraid of the law or you didn't do anything wrong? So why not talk to the authorities? Well, Graham asks Supreme court justices to block subpoena in election interference probe, Senator Lindsey Graham. A Republican from South Carolina asked the Supreme Court on Friday to block a uh, Georgia grand jury from questioning him about phone calls after the 2020 election to Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. Um, by the way, it's all been recorded and disclosed. I'll, I'll let me respond to that toll here. Let me do this here. Um, so. Brad Raffensperger gets the phone calls from Lindsey Graham and um, now it doesn't want uh, Lindsey Graham does not want to get uh, questioned or the information disclosed publicly or confirmed. Um, 
Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis wants to ask Graham about the calls in which he allegedly discussed the state's absentee ballot process and allegations of voter fraud as part of her investigation into possible election interference by former President Donald Trump and his allies. So this is an ongoing thing, and the Supreme Court has actually blocked the subpoena. Amy Howe over at scotusblog.com is the source of this article. And um, there was, well, I won't get into that. But anyway, a federal court, um, district court in Georgia ruled that Graham could not be questioned about portions of the calls in which he was asking questions related to the certification of the 2020 election. But he could be questioned about other topics, such as his purpose in raising the issues and his communications with the Trump campaign. Fine. Fine. Answer questions, though. Why? What is the problem with you? If you can have communication about the situation, why not ask? Why not discuss it publicly? Shouldn't the public know that there is voter fraud taking place in Georgia, except that every time it ends up in court, there is no voter fraud. The election was not tampered with. And when it was tampered with in a different way, it was by the very side that's gaslighting people. And it's not the entirety of the GOP. It is the wingnut contingent within it that seems to be the ones that are holding onto the purse strings and nobody will just boot them out of the GOP and say, go be your wingnut component of your own political party. But nobody wants to give up the money. And that's why everybody is staying within the GOP. Just like there's a wingnut component of the Democratic side. But let's just make it abundantly clear. The wingnut component of the Democratic side wants everything open and everybody accepting everybody as everything at all times everywhere. Whereas the wingnut component of the other side of the Republican party of the GOP is saying clamp down on everything and no, you can't be anything other than what I tell you to be. So told to get back to what you were saying, if we meaning white males, this is what's in the chat lash out because we're mistreated in the present. You're chastised as misogynist. Uh, well, it depends on the context. I can't, I can't say wholly um, that it always is like that. Uh, but it certainly does get, I guess, represented as misogynist but it really depends on the context of it so it would always take um further enlightenment as to what the context really is um, because it doesn't always happen i can't say that that always happens but it certainly stands out in people's minds when they witness it so Lindsay uh is kind of screwed on this one it's not really the Supreme Court's job to intervene with this kind of stuff. Well, they did. Uh, Thomas, Justice Thomas did. Um, but, you know, there's certainly no conflict of interest. There wasn't their wife that went off trying to flip the election in other states. There's no conflict there, right? I'm sure that's it. Um, you'll just say that you have no doubt that every ballot in the polling site was counted. Yes, I agree. 
Um, it, it's really interesting, though. Um, a lot of people sit there and say, well, it all happened at the dead of night at 2 a.m. or whatever. It's called batching. Uh, all of the electoral locations transfer their data at given times. And it's whenever their counting was certified and sent forward to be counted fully. And so, of course, there's going to be influxes of data and it's not going to happen at the prime time because the prime time is when if there is an overload of the processing center, you're going to get an error. And so they avoid all of that by doing it at set times, different times. And you do have personal experience with the double standard during your CDL school and actually managed to shame the entire class for their indifference in the conflict. Yeah, a lot of people try and stand out, stand away from it, you know. They want to basically witness the train wreck but not take part in it. And sometimes it takes you know everybody to say, no, 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 no. Let's not go down this road because it's not a legitimate situation of, you know, misogyny or oppression or something like that. Um, there's always... Uh, additional context um, until the whole truth is known and it's very difficult to get people to communicate um, when the conversation sways one way entirely and you don't have somebody trying to be an arbitrator and, and discuss it um, peacefully usually somebody will say something outlandish and it'll get taken as the truth and it rarely ever is solely that way it's like seeing a recording but it's 35 seconds after you know the the fit has hit the shan so to speak and people are now hitting record on their phones it always takes some more conversation which is why i like doing the show i like talking about all this stuff um but I'm sure you'll you I'm sure you are fine and um yeah try not to hang on to it um this next article is over in am I posting these yeah I did okay so this next article is over in the Warcrafters channel if you're into gaming this one is for you Disco Elysium writer is suing developer I don't know how to pronounce this Zom or Z A U M I don't know, I've never heard it actually pronounced, but Studio Z-A-U-M. Um, so founding member and developer on uh, one of the PC gamers' all-time favorite, Disco Elysium, it all dissolved. And he said the company is a cultural project, no longer represents the ethos it was founded on, adding that artist Alexander Rostov and the uh, writers Helen Hindspear, or Hind, Hindpeer, and Robert Kurvitz left involuntarily. In a follow-up interview, Luiga said the three were fired on false premises, uh, on false premises, uh, implying the legal action against ZAUM was incoming. So, how do you feel about that? So, Toll, it's uh, Toll. You said um, that you blew up because one student Hispanic. I uh, kept throwing the N-word out during a rant directed at your instructor. Jeez. But all the people of color said nothing after things died down, called them out on their double standard, and they all got real sheepish. Good for you. Yeah. I'm surprised that nobody else lost their mind. 
is it is a very inflammatory word um and i'm usually one that is like well you know you should be able to say any word in the right context um but the n-word is pretty much i think the only word that has zero <laughs> context um it should be kind of I, and I hate to say that I want to you know, strike something from the lexicon. Um, but when we do this kind of thing, when we like this, uh, don't say gay bill, when we strike a word from our lexicon, we are doomed <laughs> to have it pop up again because people forget that it actually existed. But Thankfully, we've been using the N-word as a replacement. Um, and uh, whenever somebody who uses it as it is said, um, there's always somebody that punches them in the face. Yeah, they excused him because they assumed his background was like a Spanish ghetto. He said, no, it doesn't make it right. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't think anybody should be throwing around the N-word. And, um, oh yeah, so you hate the don't say gay bill because the phrase is nowhere in the bill uh, and has nothing to do with the nature of the bill. Yeah, it's the... And if you are listening to this as a podcast uh, or a, in as a VOD or over on YouTube... So the don't say gay bill, that's the phrase that is used to replace the more complex nature of the bill, which basically says you can't talk to somebody um, in grade school um, regarding uh, anything about sexuality that isn't pertinent to the lesson plan, um, except that the rest of it is excising sexual identity in the learning plans so uh, essentially a plus b equals don't say gay um but it's pithier to say that's the name of the bill when it's not really um like i said you know there's always additional context um but it's weird it's it's weird in that children don't even see it (laughs) Uh, children don't see sexuality um, until much later, um, you know, not until they're uh, approaching high school. Do you even see the inclination towards seeing a different identity of people, you know, like uh, gender? Um, they might ask questions, you know, why is there two mommies or you know, two daddies or whatever. And then it's completely lost on them when you actually explain it. Um, But it's there. It gets, when you explain it, it's in their head, but they don't care. They just don't see it. Opposition has to use inflammatory phrase to cause outrage to gain a false support to fight the bill. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's basically uh, silencing the ability for people to discuss the humanity of society. It, it is what it is. Um, but there's always going to be a component that says it's not up to educators to say that, except that 
children are with educators eight hours out of the day. Um, and in many cases, it's the educator that's taking care of the child. Um, you know, a, a, a parent just drops them off and says, see you later. Uh, with little to no engagement when they're at home. But many will get upset by me even saying that. Um, so, yeah, um, just to drop back into the articles, uh, PC Gamer Disc... Uh, this article is written by Molly Taylor about Disco Elysium writer is suing developers ZAUM. Um, and they filed Robert Kurvitz filed suit on behalf of his own company, Telomere OU, I guess. And um, so, yeah, Tulsa says, um, sadly, the, the school system has become a daycare. Indeed. And it's like herding cats, you know, 30, 40 students children per class um it's really untenable particularly when instructors grade school instructors are paid just a pittance for what they have to deal with you know some parents don't even they don't want to take care of their kid let alone uh, the simple fact is that uh in instructors in grade school love what they do because they love the idea of making a holistic child prepared for the next year of class. Um, and they get to watch kids become, you know, self aware and fully engaged human beings, um, with a, a holistic understanding of their uh, world around them. I mean, they learn everything from day-to-day -day school and hanging out with other kids and uh, very little from parents in the grand scheme of things. So what's going to come of Disco Elysium in terms of reputation since the Disco Elysium rider is suing the developer? I guess we'll have to watch and see what happens. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I knew that there were problems um, with the situation at Disco Elysium when it dissolved. The next article is uh, a single chip has managed to transfer the entire internet's traffic in a single second. I read about this in a different article. And um, a single chip, which uses fiber optic cable, it's just pure light successfully showed a data transmission of 1.84 petabits over a 7.9 kilometer fiber cable using just a single chip. I don't know how expensive this would be, but it says by splitting a data stream into 37 sections, one for each core of a fiber optic cable, and then further splitting each of those into 223 channels, the researchers were able to remove a great deal of interference that slows down optical systems and therefore deliver an internet's worth of data transmission using a single chip. I love this idea. I'm curious if they're going to have a picture of the actual chip and uh, maybe the some interface. This I don't think is the, they have a picture here. Uh, Jacob Ridley over at PCGamer.com. Uh, it says researchers prove there's a lot more room to grow for the internet with uh, silicon photonics. 
and that's silicon, not silicone. Um, a single chip is managed to transfer over a petabit, and that's more than a petabit. It's 1.8 petabits, 1.84 to be precise, over a 7.9 kilometer fiber cable. Um, I'll actually be giving a demonstration about fiber optics um, tomorrow. Um, let's see. So <laughs> your kids hate your, your hate you <laughs> uh, as parents because you're involved in their lives. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm in <laughs> I'm in a lot of people's lives like that. Um, that's cool that we have the ability to transfer so much data so rapidly. Yeah, this is kind of in a semi lab environment. I really want to see this kind of stuff uh, reaching out into the public domain um, retail channels, you know, but the most you can get in your home easily is 10 gigabits. And this is 1.84 petabits. And it says that's not quite as fast as some other alternatives with uh, larger bulkier systems, which has reached up to 10.66 petabits. Uh, but the key here is scale. The proposed system is very compact. I want them to show a picture, but they don't have a picture in here. Um, there is a research paper, though, relies on a bank of investigations into the into the concept of a single chip solution across multiple researchers and papers, including one by researchers in, a, in Australia called ultra dense optical data transmission over standard fiber with a single chip source. That always flows off the tongue. They say catchy in the article. Um, let's see. What use is there to transfer that much data so fast? Uh, well, it basically speeds up the backbone of the internet. Um, with a bank of these set across a, a the width of a country, uh, you could transfer the information at a greater rate. Um, and so, for instance, there is a backbone to the internet. It's largely been consolidated into various fiber optic connections. Nobody knows where they are. Well, actually, people know where they are, but people, I should say, the general public don't know where they are. Um, the general pub public don't care what the backbone is. Um, they just want fast, reliable internet. And if you use fiber optic cables to transfer this data as fast as possible, all data gets to its destination that much faster. Uh, people actually do high frequency trading on uh, the stock market. They actually move closer to the data center that processes the trades so that they can get nanosecond speeds closer to the transaction process versus, you know, uh, you or I sitting on the side of the road making a Robin Hood trade. It's going to take considerable amount of time, but um, larger trading platforms um, like fat cats, um, artificial intelligent machine learning, automated trading platforms, high frequency trading platforms, all of these things, if they can get closer they will do it. So you want your data on your screen before you knew you wanted the data on your screen? Indeed, that's where I am. I grew up playing a game called Cyberpunk where you just stick a wire in your head. You're operating at the speed of thought. 
that's where we're going to end up. I will unfortunately probably not be around for that. But maybe I can be like Modoc and I'll just be a brain in a jar. Works for me. Data mining for Bitcoin? Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen with Bitcoin. You know, that's a good transition. You know, the stock market is up today. Great. It's basically wealthy money chasing wealthy money. Bitcoin kind of meh. That traded high uh, yesterday, uh, but still didn't dig itself out of 19,000. And um, today it went down 211 from yesterday's uh, upward trend. It never got higher than 19.5. Um, I think that it's done. Um, it's not going to hit. I think its peak will ever be 25,000 um, in the next 10 years. <coughs> That's my prediction. But um, and uh, gas prices are still hovering around three dollars and eight cent or eighty cents here in the states. Elsewhere, it's going up. Uh, but diesel is still uh, almost two dollars what it was a year ago. Um, that's why inflation is what inflation is. It certainly isn't because everybody's, you know, going, well, you know, I have record profits. Uh, maybe my margin doesn't need to be that high, uh, but I've gotten into these discussions and and um, just recently there were some political discussions taking place where it showed it highlighted the fact that the reason why we have inflation is because of corporate greed. Yeah. Um, subsidies, I it marginal. Um, corporations believe that if there's money on the table, they should take it. That is an ideological bent that was framed around a business person's uh, perspective of what the moral compass of a business should be. But modern businesses that are started by uh, this generation believe in a more holistic interaction with society. And so they have altruistic elements within the enterprise. Um, and it isn't the, uh, what you would probably hear somebody that starts a business today and is in their twenties, they would refer to the old school mantra of the only thing that matters is revenue, uh, generation. Um, they would call that late stage capitalism. Um, but this is why we have, you know, 8% mortgages. This is why the CPI is massively out of a line with what should have been a natural progression. We, we consumers are paying way more than we should. Um, and it's because if you look at all of the corporations of producers, not just companies, mom and pop shops, but producers, um, you will see massive profits. Um, even during a complete shutdown of the nation. Well, what's the motivation there? Well, there may be a lot of money out on the table, but just because it's out there doesn't mean that you have to take it. What you should be doing for your, when you make a, a product is you cover all of your, your costs and there's some squeeze on top of that but not necessarily what you're going to find out about 
coming in 2023, things like 10,000% markup. Um, it is a, a moral dilemma and businesses is businesses powered by humans. It isn't some separate entity that controls itself. It has humans steering it. So nowadays you hear a lot of this ethical business. So how much of it is subsidies really depends on the domain, depends on the business, depends on what you're talking about. Um, and I, to actually discuss it, I would have to go and hunt down various examples of it or be asked hey, what about this? What about that business or this business? But I can tell you that the biggest tax on gas is by the state, not by the federal government, by the federal government. It's 19 cents. The rest of it is profit and on the other side, the state um, levying a tax per gallon. Different places have different things. Different states give subsidies to various businesses, to various people, to, you know, support systems. And, you know, in a perfect world, everybody would have ample opportunity. It wouldn't have to take advantage of public support systems. It's just the way that it's much more complex than I can describe um, in short order. But... There's a lot more context here than just it's a subsidies thing. Um, so this next article is in four wheel tech. 74% say connected cars and EV chargers need cybersecurity ratings. This is an interesting one because up until today, I don't think anybody's really been talking about this. It says there's a new energy star like label system for connected devices, but not for cars. Jonathan M. Gitlin over at Ars Technica wrote this article. And it says here almost three in four people think that connected cars and electric vehicle chargers should be rated for their ability to resist cybersecurity threats. Um, there's a, a lot of concern with this kind of stuff because historically devices that don't have cybersecurity in mind yet are connected to things like the internet, um, they become the vectors for cybersecurity breaches. And just imagine if your EV is breached via its charging port, uh, which is definitely a possibility if the port, the port and the charger communicate, but they don't have cybersecurity in mind. The survey was commissioned in response to a new White House initiative announced on Wednesday. The Biden administration plans to launch a labeling program for Internet of Things devices in 2023, similar to Energy Star ratings that tell consumers how much electricity a TV or appliance will use. Um, a lot of states actually are now spinning up programs that help businesses assess uh, what their cybersecurity profile is. Um, and um, yeah, it, it's just a it's a serious problem and one that I tell small businesses on the regular and individuals that you need to become cybersecurity uh, savvy, at least at a base level understanding of technology. Otherwise you'll be the victim of somebody else being cybersecurity savvy and they'll exploit it if their moral compass is misdirected. Uh, and here in the States, I say, if you commit a cybersecurity crime, if you commit a cyber crime, you will get caught if you do it 
to the level where it pops up on somebody's radar, you will eventually get caught. Just because you don't get caught the first time doesn't mean you won't get caught the second or third time. Um, and these are instantly federal crimes. These aren't just state because you're using communication lines to uh, penetrate systems. So, so Tulsa is, uh, see another reason why the dream car 74 L Camino SS with a big block 454. Yeah. I like that. I like a nice V8. Um, yeah, I can't really, <laughs> I love tech. So, uh, I would love, um, an all electric anything. Um, as long as it has uh, four motors in the wheels and hits zero to 60 in 1.8 seconds. Um, you know, the, the faster, the better, um, concerned about the idea of keyless entry into your house, uh, or car that uses an app as your key. Uh, it's easier to get into a keyed entry than it is into a digital, uh, system. Uh, if the digital system is programmed with the right security features in place, if somebody skimps on the security, that's, it's going to happen, but a keyed entry, it, all you need is a rake and a lever and you can open up pretty much any keyed entry. Um, go and watch a person on, go and watch a person on YouTube called the lock picking lawyer. Um, and uh, you'll see there is not a single lock that can't be picked, um, but a keyless entry, you have to hack your way into it. And if the right security is in place, you want a car that'll lift the front wheels off the ground for funsies? <laughs> yeah, I used to do that. <clears throat> um, now I've said too much. Perhaps alarmingly for ours readers, only 50%. 54% of the 1,008 people surveyed said that they are concerned about internet connected devices in their homes being hacked. And just 32% said that they own internet of things devices. Oh, and so today I was in a meeting, um, with some 60 other people and, um, the person that was giving the presentation was logged into somebody else's profile on the computer they were presenting from. And, um, yeah, I had a conversation with them uh, <laughs> uh, because I'm a big, 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 big proponent of cybersecurity and, and uh, understanding IT because um, somebody else's document could be exploited through whatever login you used to get access to that document. Um, so I, I just told them that they could have been fished pretty easy. Anyway, um, go and check this out. 74% say connected cars and EV chargers need cybersecurity settings. Did I actually post that? No, I didn't. Let me throw that into chat. And there you go. <coughs> if you missed it, if you hit exclamation point showbot, that'll take you over to hometown.showbot.tv uh, where you can actually vote on articles and I have a couple more um, quite a few more as a matter of fact so I'm going to rifle through these real quick a car feature subscription should be illegal a New Jersey legislator says this is in four wheel tech as well uh, a channel that's devoted to uh, vehicle centric technologies um, your keypad is front door but yeah it would 
Uh, that made working remote an impossibility when you were active duty. And... Why would it make a working remote impossibility while you're active duty? I'm curious. So uh, car feature subscription should be illegal. So if you had heard a while back, um, there were a couple of reports where you had to pay a subscription fee for heating your car. Tesla recently announced owners of a car have to pay $99 a year or $10 a month to access navigation. Um, others basically have uh, licensing requirements for a car um, just to have it either activated or uh, in perpetuity. Um, you have to pay so that you can keep on using it. Uh, we're not talking about like entertainment. We're talking about um, full self-driving feature. They just charge a fee at this point, but it just went up from 12000 to $15,000 in September to activate it. Um, BMW made the Apple CarPlay a subscription feature before uh, backtracking from it in 2019. There's another one for the heating elements in BMWs. Uh, it just seems weird to me and rather predatory that you have to pay a subscription for anything short of the entertainment from a satellite service. And that's really, you know, it going into it. So I don't know why anybody would ever buy a BMW wherein you have to pay 10 bucks a month just to heat your seats or use Apple CarPlay, you know, forget it. I'm out. Um, not the keypad that was, uh, slipped in the wrong place, but the security protocols in the systems you had to access made it impossible to work remote. It's frustrating. The Kia connect app was only one year subscription trial. And now to use the remote features on the car, you have to pay 30 bucks a month. What does it do? See, I mean, I like the idea of Kia, but I'm not going to pay a subscription. Let's keep hustling through these. Jonathan M. Gitlin is the author of the article over on Ars Technica. Uh, car feature subscription should be illegal, say a New Jersey legislator. Uh, I agree. And uh, let's see, who is it that's saying this? Um, they don't really say. That's interesting. Assemblyman Paul Moriarty and Joe Danielson introduced a bill that would prohibit car makers from or dealers from offering subscriptions in New Jersey. Uh, they put that right in the dead center of the article. Uh, let's keep on hustling through these articles. Uh, TSMC says efforts to rebuild U.S. semiconductor industry is doomed to fail. Apple supplier TSMC believes the U.S. efforts to build chip manufacturing at home are doomed to fail. Uh, I referred to this uh, 15 years ago as repatria sourcing. <laughs> I love mashing up words. Anyway. Uh, so repatriating the manufacturing process from foreign countries, I think, is very uh, important to the sustainability of business and stability of business in the United States. Um, a lot of intellectual property is lost the, immediately because it gets exported to another country that doesn't follow the same rules as the United States and other um, European countries. Right. And when 
that takes place, you basically lose any competitive advantage. Now, I understand that it's really easy to take something nowadays and just reverse engineer it. There are people that get paid big bucks to do it. Um, but when the manufacturing itself is exported to another country, you lose all domestic uh, competitive advantage. Um, I actually watched one person producing their product and before they actually, the creator of the product hit retail, it was already cloned and selling on Amazon and they couldn't do anything about it because you can't protect the idea. You can protect something with a patent, but that only goes as far as one can protect it and defend it and fight. So you would literally have to be chasing after every single listing and notify Amazon, Hey, this is my product and it's protected by a patent. You have to go through the legal process. It has to be excised from Amazon. Somebody else will pop up. You have to find it. Meanwhile, they are diluting your product, diluting your product's viability because every sale keeps you from making money off of your patented idea. So I've gotten to the point where don't get a patent. Don't get a patent unless it's something that is extremely complex um, and something that is defensible and sustainable within the United States and within Europe. Don't bother with a patent. Spend your money hitting the ground running and, and make your money fast. Um, and if it's a business process, then protect that process. But an idea can't be protected. Um, so let's see here. Till says, um, you find it ironic that the same party that apologizes for the U.S. being the best country in the world is also the same party that's now realizing how important it is to uh, used to be. It is for use to be the developer of the end product instead of just exporting the raw materials and buying the finished product back. Yeah, that's exactly a lot of that. <laughs> um, that's a, that's what happens. Um, so it lets you start your car, open the door, set the air conditioning. That's what that app does. Got it. It seems like it should be part and parcel to the purchase price. I, I, I don't know. It, it That always bothers me. You know, like my car doesn't have that, but I can do that. I can I can do everything that you just described, but um, I don't have to pay a fee. Um, although I don't think I've I don't think I can do the air conditioning uh, via the app. Huh. But I can do remote starts and open windows and doors and stuff like that. Um, so let's see. Let's go over to uh, Apple Insider. Andrew Orr is the author. And yeah, uh, doomed to fail probably because there's so much oversight that the cost of operations might eclipse the profitability and defensibility of domestic manufacturing. Um, so let's see what the article actually says. The contract manufacturer rose to become top chip maker in the world, commanding 20% of global wafer fabrication, 92% of advanced chip fabs. Um, yeah, I totally believe that. Um, and it'll probably get scooped up by uh, China here in short order. We'll see. The government believes that if China were to attack the country, the U.S. would come to its aid to prevent China from seizing the industry. Doubt it. Um, the U.S. Speaker, uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan in August. She met with uh, Morris Chang and Mark Liu, 
chair of TSMC, Chang told Pelosi that Washington's efforts to build up or rebuild chip manufacturing were doomed to fail. But the U.S. may not have much of a choice. Analysts at Universe, uh, sorry, at investment bank Credit Suisse have estimated that if the world loses access to Taiwan's chip plants, it will disrupt the production for everything from computers to cars. Agree. It's already being impacted, and all it is is a pandemic that shouldn't have been this damaging to the supply chain, except that that's exactly what benefited record profits for businesses. The supply chain didn't hurt big business. They made bank because they raised the price. You try and get something as simple as a Raspberry Pi right now, and you have to pay close to $200 if you can find it. Monopoly in semiconductor production creates instability, said uh, Brad Martin, director of National Security Supply Chain Institute on the, uh, at the RAND Corporation. If the U.S. is faced with a need to make a decision between protecting its economy and de defending Taiwan, that starts to become a very stark decision. Agreed. I think that it is incumbent on the government to uh, provide the means for business to spin up and, and um, make chips domestically because TSMC is one military action away because it will come in similar to a blitzkrieg. China will roll over Taiwan and take it by force. And if there's any doubt that that's what would happen, well, open your eyes. It will happen if they see it necessary. Um, and they do. They really do believe that Taiwan is theirs. So um, the next article is in Four Wheel Tech, uh, Polster 3. Bum, bum, bum. SUV will cost $84,000 loaded and goes on sale Q4 2023 after a sublime limited production GT and a stylish fastback sedan Polster is launching its third vehicle, the aptly named Polster 3. It's a performance oriented SUV on the larger side of the spectrum built on a new EV only platform developed together with part owner and and uh, I don't know what Geely Stablemate Volvo. So let's take a look at this thing. I don't know. Production of the new EV starts in China in 2023, then South Carolina in 2024. Going to come out of the gate at $84,000 loaded. What do you think the cheap side of this is going to be? I don't know. Polster opens its order books for the Polster today. Uh, but if you push that button, be prepared for a bit of a wait before you take delivery as the car first cars may only reach those shores toward the end of next year, or these shores. Um, but Polster is pretty sure one will resonate with uh, North American audience and local production. The Polster 3 in Ridgeville, South Carolina begins in 2024. This is going to be an EV. Let's see here. Oh my gosh. Wow. Dual motor spec. In this case, a twin motor, all wheel drive EV, 489 horsepower and 620 pound feet. Wow. This thing. That should be sufficient to propel the big SUV zero to 60 in under five seconds. But if you feel the need to shave off another three tenths of a second, 
the 6,000 performance pack ups, ups things to 517 uh, horsepower. By the way, somewhere around 200,000 would probably get you a similar quality car. Um, combustion engine, 600 horsepower, 650 maybe, um, depending on the car, I suppose. But SUV size, yeah, you're looking at about 200,000. Um, and it's instantaneous. There's no revving of an engine. It's just hit that button and off you go. And that's what I love about EVs. What sucks about EVs is the fact that the battery um, really does get impacted by use to a greater degree that a combustion engine does. And weather impacts it even more so. Um, depending on how long a combustion engine is sitting in the cold, all you have to do is heat it up a little bit and it'll fire up. Batteries, not so much. You can't heat them up too much. You can't get them too cold. Pulsar 3 will also be capable of bi-directional charging in that the EV can do things like feed energy back into your house or grid in the future. Pretty cool, huh? If you got $85,000 sitting in your... Let me scratch that. $84,000 sitting in your couch cushions. Go for it. You can get it. So we've been kind of heavy in the EV side of things today. Um, and so I'm going to end with another EV related matter. Uh, how much does a, an electric vehicle's battery performance change in hot weather? How about cold? If someone drives aggressively in an EV, how does the, that affect the battery? How much do variations in materials make a difference in how an EV performs in various conditions? These are all questions that I ask. Well, Dan Garino, Inside Climate News, wrote this article for rstechnica.com. Understanding how different variables affect battery, battery performance is part of something that they're calling the Battery Genome Project. And creators want to share data and get better EVs and describe what a battery is, much like a nutrition label. That's what should come out for batteries. Researchers and manufacturers have partial answers to these questions based on the data they've collected, but they know much more than if uh, they shared the data in formats that they all could understand. This is the premise behind the battery genome, uh, data genome. Uh, let me rephrase that. The battery data genome, a new initiative led by Argonne National Laboratory in Illinois and Idaho National Laboratory, among others. The name is a reference to the Human Genome Project, a monumental data sharing project launched in 1990 that contributed to innovations in medical science. Quote, it's going to take a lot of data, data from a lot of sources, said George Crabtree, a distinguished fellow at Argonne and director of the Department of Energy's Joint Center for Energy Storage Research. Interesting, though, I think a lot of people have asked these questions, uh, but it takes something like the Department of Energy in collaboration with Argonne and Idaho National Laboratories uh, to make something manifest like the Human Genome Project in terms of the Battery Data Genome Project. Um, I think it'll be great and uh, it will probably force EV developers and battery technology to get pushed because it'll become much more transparent that batteries are crap. But the physics have to align and the, f the fiduciaries have to align to make 
the physics approachable. You can't get a really expensive battery into production because nobody will buy it. Plain and simple. That's why oil still persists because it hasn't gotten to the, it hasn't gotten so bad with internal combustion engines that we have to walk away from them, but we're getting there. We're getting there. And it's been 25 years since I first heard, maybe 30 years since I heard peak oil. Yeah, probably 30 years since I heard peak oil. That's labeling how old I am. Um, but we've been chanting peak oil, peak oil for a long time. Guess what? Still getting pumped out of the ground and artificially constrained to drive the price up. And ever since it was on the stock market, the price for oil has shot through the roof compared to where it was before at $30 a, a barrel. The moment it started getting futures trading on the stock market, it jumped up to 60. Now it's sitting somewhere around 90. Profiteering and greed. The stock market was supposed to make things level, even out the futures. Guess what? The only thing it's done is drive prices up, 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 up. You can't demand 10% profit, 20% profit, 30% profit and growth again and again, every month, every quarter, every year without everybody paying more and more and more and more. And now ever since the seventies, salaries have been outstripped by the cost of goods going up. And I talked about this yesterday, maybe the day before in 1975, the price for a house was $35,000 but people were making $17,000. Now people are making $35,000, but the price of a house is $350,000. And every year that I have found it, the average salary, we're talking to the average salary in the United States has been 3% lower than the previous year. Meanwhile, housing cost of goods, sorry, uh, the, the consumer price index is all going up by 3%, 6%, etc. Now, if you take into account the fact that today's average salary is 3% less than 2021's salary, and you're talking about 8% inflation, the number that I said that we would hit by the end of the year has been hit, and that is 11%. We already are in a recession. We already are paying the price for corporate greed. And I am a capitalist. I believe in the capitalist process of building a product or service and selling it at what I think it is worth, not necessarily what you'll pay, but what I think it is worth. And if I don't think that I'm making enough money, then I can lower the price or raise it. If my time is being consumed too much and I want a good work-life balance, that's how it works. But there's still something to be said about not being predatory, allowing people to have money on the table still so that they can feed themselves without having to sacrifice. That's what is coming and we'll see. We'll see if that actually is made manifest in the next 10 years.
So, Toll, you stepped away. You made lunch for tomorrow. Look at you, one percenter. You got food. I have to go synthesize it from the air. I have to go in the backyard and just open my mouth and hope bugs kind of... So you find it funny that guys like you and I can figure out these things, uh, make predictions about them, but the advisors to the world leader, leaders are clueless. It's because we're not bought. Look at a senator. If we made all of the senators wear suits that look like NASCAR, you'd know exactly who was paying them the most because it, they'd have a big old you know, placard across their forehead that says who their biggest earner or payer is. Alternate between turkey and bologna sandwiches. Super one percenter. Yeah. <laughs> meat. You get meat. Wow. Just shrubbery for me. I spend all my money on this streaming stuff. Look, lights. Do you know how expensive lights are? Oh, see? I didn't pay the bill. Just kidding. There we go. I'll stop playing around. Toll, thanks for hanging out with me. Is it lunch for tomorrow? Yeah, you said lunch for tomorrow. Well, we figure it out, Toll, but guess what? We scream into the void. Something that I said was going on is actually happening. I mean, people are talking about it, but people don't hear me screaming into the void. Some do. And then they go, nah. And then I show them an article uh, eight months after I first said it. And they go, oh, oh, yeah, okay. I guess you were right. I think to be on any defense budgeting committee or decision making for act, uh, active duty pay and benefits should have to live off and an active duty members pay and benefits for a term. I don't think for a term. The way that I see it is if you vote, if you are controlling the purse strings to go into to have military um, action somewhere, you should have to go. <laughs> I think that um, if you are limiting VA support, um, you should have to suffer the same limited support as anybody in the VA. I think that the people that are hobbling other people should be just as hobbled. You know, you take away food stamps from people that have no opportunity because they simply live somewhere and they're, they've grown up there. And people who are already subsistence living are already, they're already barely making it. So they just, the, the next generation can't get out of that hole. They're, just barely making it, just barely making it. The one thing that drives people out of poverty is education. And we hobble education. We, we basically say the only people that should get an education are people with money, um, which has historically been the way that it is. Um, but it's just twisted to be that way. It, it's sociopathic to be that way. VA has truly gotten better. Uh, but the new retirement program for military is transitioning from a high three pension to a 401k style thrift savings plan. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the VA 
truly getting better isn't saying much considering where it was and where it is. I mean, it was a dumpster fire. You would add to your comment about getting out of poverty is not just education, but also having a skill that is meaningful. Well, yeah, I mean, a skill is education. Knowledge, skills, and abilities, KSAs. You teach somebody how to program and their life is changed. You teach somebody uh, technology and their life changes. You teach them the more holistic understanding of an education, math, science, technology, engineering, uh, English, art, everything. It, it's a holistic education and it's quality. Now I'm, we're talking like not 65 people to a classroom. We're talking about 18 people max to a classroom and you will get quality educated people um, providing countless benefit to society. You teach someone underwater basket weaving and their life changes, but they aren't getting out of poverty weaving baskets. That is not true, by the way. <laughs> Man, people are making some serious bank making hand hand fabricated bespoke items. Um, that's actually one of the luxury goods bespoke items that are made custom um, uh, command a, a very healthy penny. Um, it's all about getting traction though. So, but yeah, it, it I understand what you're going for. <laughs> if there's no opportunity with the skill that's developed, then no, you're not going to get too far. Um, but we need people uh, in all tracks of life. I mean, we need mechanic. We need more mechanics. We need um, more plumbers. We need more uh, construction workers. Uh, we need more of everything. Uh, the problem is, the owners of the businesses deem it not necessary because their margins would have to suffer, and they want the Ferraris while another job, you know, another job might lower that opportunity to get a, a lift in their garage so that they can raise their Ferrari up so that it doesn't get as dirty as the one underneath. So yeah, that's all I know. Driver, construction worker. I've been there too. Um, but I was one of those people, not drivers, but construction worker. I used to build houses with a neighbor and um, he asked me to walk away because I was costing him too much money because I wanted walls to be vertical. <laughs> he said he just wanted them up. So, yeah, that was 40 years ago. 40-ish. Um, but, yeah, I'll leave that there. Um, so, at the end of the day, this is the Hometown Daily News Show. We've been chatting about all kinds of stuff. Uh We'll be here tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern, every day. Haven't missed a show yet. Knock on wood, knock on wood. I wonder if that was louder for you than it was for me. So I'm going to have to say see you later. Um, hometown needs me, and I'm going to have to run. Thanks for hanging out with me, Toll. Really appreciate it. If anybody else is lurking, thanks for hanging out lurking. And if you hear this, as a podcast, as 
a VOD as a YouTube video. Thanks for watching. Come and hang out with me. Take care of yourself, Toll. Hopefully, I get to see you tomorrow. Missed you all. Take care. Bye-bye. Still got my spooky music playing. <laughs>